Hello, everybody, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and in this week's episode, we'll be discussing the NFL, what's going down there as the regular season almost concludes. We'll be discussing our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. We'll be shifting to some NBA news and coverage. We'll be talking about the college football playoff and some news there, and then we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Welcome in to the newest edition of the show. Remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Also, the Twitter page at JTimeSports. I repeat, at JTimeSports for all of your breaking news and coverage on the show, on the sports that we talk about on the show, and just general breaking news. But let's jump right into a loaded show. We're going to start with the NFL. Craziness all the way around absolute madness the nfl may have hit a gold mine by making the teams play in division at least the last week but this week seeing like everybody played in division the last two weeks it made for an absolute crazy weekend i start off with the nfc east everybody's favorite bad division i mean the division winner at this point will guarantee to no longer have eight wins it will be a losing record and that's only if Washington gets the division, because otherwise a seven-win team will win the division, which is still possible. A six-win team, rather, would win the division, which is still possible for Washington if they lose and the Cowboys lose. I believe Washington still gets the division crown at six wins. So who knows how that can happen? Why are they in this position? Well, Carolina took it to Washington. Alex Smith did not play. So Washington had a tumultuous week with Dwayne Haskins having the strip club incident with his girlfriend, having the captaincy strip, a $40,000 fine. It was split on the building, whether they even wanted to have him on the team last week. But Ron Rivera thought he owed it to his guys to play the best player, which he believed at the time was still Dwayne Haskins, regardless of the incident over Taylor Heineke. And they went out with Haskins. You can tell the team was split. You can just see on the sideline. Uh, Shannon Sharp mentioned this on Undisputed. You can just see on the sideline how the team looked at him, especially when they weren't playing well. They looked at him like you could have really caused us trouble because per reports, he you know went to the strip club, did what he had to do with his mask off, and then the next day just walked into the facility. It wasn't it wasn't a situation where you know he self-reported, man, I was out. He went and got a COVID test before he came. It was just, he just walked in, strolled in a facility like every other day, and could have mass contaminated his entire organization for being fairly selfish, in my opinion. But on the back on the field, he did not perform well. Carolina was up 17 to zero at one point. Dwayne Haskins ultimately was benched. Uh, Taylor Heineke finished the game, gave him a little spark, but you can tell that Taylor Heineke was not the better option from a talent perspective than Dwayne Haskins. And so after the game, um, they caught a little bit of a break because Philly lost. So that took one of the teams out of contention for next week. But uh, after the game, Dwayne Haskins had a media snafu where he didn't speak to the media, but the media was waiting on him. But he claims he was told he didn't have to do media because Heineke was doing media. And so he ended up doing media later in the day, I believe. But it's just another situation on top of all of what happened that last week. And ultimately, he was waived. Uh, he cleared waivers. And so now he's officially a free agent. He's drawing interest from several teams. One report even has that he's drawing interest from the Carolina Panthers, which makes sense. He's like a supersized version of Teddy Bridgewater. And so if they can get him to mature and to be a little better in his footwork, he could be a supersized version of Teddy Bridgewater, which is a quality NFL starter. But uh, he will probably sign early in camp. That way a coach can get a look at him all through the preseason and the camp and see if they have anything in him for probably a minimum deal. But shifting gears, the Pittsburgh Steelers are alive, I think. I mean, I, I said they wouldn't win a game before September 2021, so wrong there by me. But I think they're alive. 
in, in a best of seven series, I'd still pick the Colts to win. But the Steelers won when they had to. Big Ben flashed back to the pass with a couple of deep rockets. He threw a bomb to Deontay Johnson. He threw an absolute rope up the seam to Juju Smith-Schuster. I mean, he flashed back to the pass. Still can't run the ball. As a team, they ran the ball for 1.6 yards a carry, including Benny Snell rushing six times for zero yards. That's kind of hard to do. The defense played well enough in the second half. Phillip Rivers did what Phillip Rivers does. On the road, in the cold. Oh, I can make the playoffs? Uh, let me mess it up somehow. And threw a couple of interceptions. Had a couple of turnovers as a team that were absolutely crushing to a defense that's one of the best defenses in the league. Pretty much so like Washington's defense. Don't put it in a bad spot repeatedly. You'll probably win the game. And the Phillip Rivers did that. Steelers took advantage of it offensively, and they are alive, I think. They won the AFC North. They're no longer than the third seed. They're going to rest um, Big Ben Roethlisberger in Week 17, give his body a break, basically create a bye week for him. Uh, Tomlin said they will play the rest of their starters. Maybe one or two others will sit. So that's when you may look at a TJ Watt, may not play the whole game. Juju Smith-Schuster may not play the whole game, but Mike Tomlin made no quarrels about this will be a regular week for the Pittsburgh Steelers. It'll be a bring your pay, your lunch pail to work week. And so outside of Ben and maybe one or two of the starters, the Steelers are going to play the Browns. The Browns should win, especially in that situation. But the Steelers are going to prepare and basically create a bye week for Ben to allow him a week of healing. And a week off, basically, because when you know you're not going to play in the game and you know you have a playoff game the next week, you pretty much don't do a lot of studying. I mean, you help Mason Rudolph. You help, you know, okay, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing that. But the mental grind of watching 10, 15, 20 hours of tape during the week, you don't have to do that anymore. You just got to pay attention enough to help Mason through some basic stuff, but you don't have to do nearly the grind where you know you have no chance of playing. I mean, you're going to be inactive. I mean, you have no chance of getting in the game. So that is good news for the Steelers to give Ben a rest week. Shifting to the team that will have the actual buy in the playoffs, the Kansas City Chiefs. They escape again. It was like Kansas City, we almost have a problem. They are an AJ Terrell interception away from scoring 10 points against an Atlanta defense at home and losing. But because it's Atlanta, the interception was dropped, and on the very next play, the Chiefs scored a touchdown. And then Atlanta comes right down the field and misses a 39-yard field goal, which not sure how young way Koo missed it. It, The ball never fluttered in a different direction. It went end over end like you'd want a kick to go, and it was like the wind magically started blowing at that exact moment, and it just slid all the way across and barely missed to the right crushing way for Atlanta to lose a game, especially a game that they were several one play away moments from winning. Ultimately though, the Chiefs do what they do. They win close games. They've won 25 of their last 26 and the only person they lost to, the Raiders, they turn around and beat them this season as well. So, 25 opponents up, 25 opponents down over their last 26 games. They keep winning football games. They look like they're bored. I mean, Andy Reid tried to spin a Rooney throw back to Patrick Mahomes on fourth and one when they probably could have just handed the ball off and got it. They look bored. They look like a team that's just, especially their offense, just trying to get to the playoffs. Because especially in this situation, you don't want to show anything. You don't want to give, you don't want to put anything else on film. You don't want to put anything else that's a staple of your offense. I mean, people know your staple routes, your staple route combinations. But you don't want to prepare. You don't want to show them anything else on tape to really lock down on you and get ready for you for another week. And Atlanta's defense, man, they came after my homes. That line is starting to crack. You saw against New Orleans, Trey Hendrickson was getting there. Cam Jordan was getting there. You saw against Atlanta. They weren't doing it as traditionally with the front four, but they were creating pressure and getting the patch of Mahomes. That offensive line could be an issue in the playoffs. Against Tennessee, of course not. Maybe not even against the Baltimore. But you play Pittsburgh, you have a leaky offensive line, TJ Watt's going to get home. 
you play Buffalo with the weak offensive line, Leslie Frazier, the defensive coordinator for the Bills, knows that he's going to get home. He's going to send pressure. And so that is going to be something very interesting to watch. Again, they won. So the mass critique is only going to go so far. They keep winning football games, but they're getting closer and closer to not winning that game. And they're playing worse and worse as the season progresses. I mean, Patrick Mahomes is quarterback rating in December is 89 by comparison Ryan Tannehill's and Aaron Rodgers just to name a few are way clear of 100 and so he's not playing anywhere near his best football anywhere near his normal level of football actually as the season wanes so that is a situation definitely to watch for the Chiefs shifting to a couple of old guys getting it done Aaron Rodgers dominating the Titans and Tom Brady eviscerating the Lions. We're going to start off with Packers and Titans. That was a great game. Started off early. The Frozen Tundra Lambeau Field made its season debut. The snow was falling thickly. I mean, it was, I mean, they were having to clean just the Lions off. You know, sometimes at halftime, they may try to wipe the field and everything. No, they didn't even try that. They were getting just the yard markers off. And they would do two passes if it was like a 40 or a 50 or a 20. But, I mean, it was absolutely coming down. The run defense showed up. They only gave up 4.2 yards of carry to Derrick Henry, which kept him under 100 yards for the first time in several games. Uh, they put pressure on the Titans offense by scoring points on by scoring points themselves. Tennessee doesn't have a pass rush. They can't pass rush. It's just they can't do it. They've got 15 sacks in 15 games. They can't pass rush. So when you got a good quarterback such as Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, anybody at that level, they're going to sit right there. They're going to dice you apart. Devontae Adams had three receiving touchdowns. A.J. Dillon, their second-round pick, who was considered a bust at a certain point, was like, he didn't even play. He was a third back on the roster. Comes through, starts bowling balling people i mean looking like a great pick the packers want to get more physical he's a physical runner it looked like a great pick there the packers may have been right i mean we kind of laughed at him like man you took a quarterback when all you got all those holes and rogers playing his best season one of his best seasons of his career man you took a power back in the second round like you need this this and this aj Dillon's probably going to start next season for that team maybe the packers are right it's possible Odd that you did it through that way, but hey, they know how to get the best out of Aaron Rodgers. They know how to get the best out of that football team. Clearly, Matt LaFleur wanted to get more physical, so they drafted a blocking tight end and a power back and things to get more physical on the offense side of the ball. It may have worked. But shifting to Bucks and Lions, we're only going to talk about the first half. That's all that really mattered. That's all. I mean, that was the game, the first half. Uh, Tom Brady threw for 320 yards and four touchdowns in the first half including Mike Evans got in on the action, Antonio Brown got one, Chris Godwin got one, Gronk got one. He was looking like Oprah out there. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. You get a touchdown. It was absolutely spectacular in the way that the Bucks went up and down the field on a depleted Lions coaching staff. The players were there, but the, but the coaching staff were down, I believe, four coaches or five coaches due to contract tracing for a COVID incident. And so over Brady's last four quarters, he's got 650-some-odd yards and six touchdowns. He's absolutely on fire right now, and he's getting hot at the right time. Getting hot in December, the opposite of the Chiefs. He's getting hot in December and preparing to roll into the playoffs on the road, presumably at the winner of the NFC East, because the Bucs should be the five seed if they take care of business against Atlanta this weekend. And... The NFC East champion will no doubt be the four seed. So presumably the Bucks will end up on the road at either Washington or Dallas, from what I would predict. And then lastly, just a little Christmas cheer or Christmas jeer, depending on what side you're on for this incident. Alvin Kamara in red and green cleats scored six rushing touchdowns. I repeat, six rushing touchdowns. Like he was he was like LeBron out there. Not one, not two, not three, not four, not five, but six rushing touchdowns. This had not been done in the NFL since 1929. To put that in perspective, 
gas was 23 cents a gallon, milk was 29 cents a gallon, and the Great Depression started in 1929. We were about um, 12 years from entering World War II, and Hitler doesn't take power for another four years in Germany. I. 1929 was the last time this had happened in the NFL. And Alvin Kamara scored six rushing touchdowns. The Saints scored over 50 points with no passing touchdowns because the other touchdown that was scored in the game was a rush by Taysom Hill. No passing touchdowns. They scored over 50 points, which had not been done in quite a long time as well. So very impressive win by the Saints, eliminating their playoff thorn in their side in Minnesota. And so congratulations to the Saints and big props to Alvin Kamara last week. Now we're going to take a quick break and shift to week 17 coverage in what is basically wildcard weekend one. Alrighty guys and welcome back in. And now we're going to shift to week 17, which I'm going to basically call weekend wildcard number one. Because there's so many playoff implications, there's so many winning their ends, there's so many, you need this person to win, that person to win to jump seedings, all kind of stuff is happening right now. Let's start with the NFC East. Again, thank you NFL for putting the, all the division games in week 17, because now, instead of Washington screen watching Dallas playing Cincinnati and hoping the Bengals bow up without Joe Burrow. Washington's hoping that the Eagles go three and one with Jalen Hurts instead of, you know, the Cowboys watching Washington play arresting Pittsburgh because the game doesn't matter. They're playing an in-division team as well, also competing. So it is huge, huge having a wild card weekend. My mistake, the Cowboys are playing the Giants, Washington's playing the Eagles. It is huge to have that having in wild card weekend one in week 17 but speaking of the nfc east like i was saying the cowboys are playing the giants so in this game both teams are alive both teams are alive right now it is insane the fact that none of them are going to get to eight wins and three of them are alive for the division so the cowboys are playing the giants right the winner of this game needs a washington loss in order to get the division win now Mm, congrats, you lose eight positions in draft spot and get the right to lose to Tom Brady in the first round. But hey, you're in. And so they are going to play. Cowboys and Giants are going to play. This is huge for multiple reasons. Multiple storylines are here. Cole McCoy may play. We don't know the health of Daniel Jones just yet. Daniel Jones played last week, but he can't move anymore. He means he has a hamstring, and one of his biggest advantages was he can get out the window and go if you blow contain, or he doesn't see the one down the field, he can just run. With a hamstring, he can't go anywhere. Jason Garrett is the offensive coordinator for the Giants. What would be better than for Jason Garrett to hang like 35 on Dallas and to make sure that the Cowboys do not have a shot at the playoffs? Forget making it they don't have a chance because whoever loses out of the cowboys and the giants cannot make the playoffs regardless of what happens to washington speaking of washington they're playing the eagles now they're hoping against hope that alex smith can play if alex smith can play i give washington a very good chance to win this football game i'm not going to predict it because in jack's pack a little later but i give washington a very good chance to win this football game if alex smith plays However, if Alex Smith doesn't play and you're going with Taylor Heineke, I have little to no faith that the Washington football team can win this game. And I predict the Eagles will beat them, which would mean the winner of the Cowboys and Giants would get the NFC East spot for the right to lose to Tom Brady and the Bucks in the wildcard round. So an absolutely huge weekend, obviously, in the NFC East. Shifting to the other parts of the NFC, what's going down in their playoff picture. You have Cardinals and Rams, which is turning into possibly a backup quarterback fest. Jared Goff has already been ruled out. This game is a winning year-end game. Jared Goff's already been ruled out with a broken thumb. He had surgery on it. They're hopeful he could be back for their wildcard game if they get there, if they get past the Cardinals. And then they've already lost Cooper Cup. He's out as well because he hit the reserve COVID list and will miss the game. 
Now, you look on the other side, Ky- Kyler Murray. You know, he's been nursing that shoulder injury, which started to look healthy. And now he has a lower leg injury. Unspecified, the Cardinals aren't letting any information out about that. And he is questionable for the game. Cliff Kingsbury hopes he can play, but he is questionable for the game. And so we'll definitely have to look for that if and when Kyler Murray plays. How is his mobility? How is he escaping tacklers? Aaron freaking Donald's on the other side, so he might want to be able to move. And so that'll be very interesting to see. Now, the Rams backup quarterback does technically, he is an all-time leading passer of the AAF. He was on pace to be the AAF MVP before the league folded ultimately. But he does have a little playing experience, and he has a couple of decent throws in the preseason. And so I assume, I'm going to assume that Kyler Murray is going to play. Maybe this is some, some kind of smoke screen from Cliff Kingsbury. I do believe he's hurt because he was down for a minute when he got tackled last week. But, however, I do think that he will play. And the Cardinals, again, I will not pick this game. It is in Jack's pack. However, I will uh, just say it hinges on the health of Kyler Murray. Bears and Packers. For the Bears and the Packers, this is a huge game for two different reasons. For the Chicago Bears, you win and you're in. You lose, you open the door. So Bears Bears win and they're in. They scored 30 points in four straight games. Mitch Trubisky is looking like a franchise quarterback at the moment. You've got a defense that now believes they have an offense on the other side that can help them. It is amazing to see what happens when a defense believes in the offense on the other side. The defense plays a lot better. And so the defense are playing a lot faster. They're playing a lot hungrier because they believe now that they have an offense on the other side that can help them. They don't have to hold everybody under 10 to win a game. You know, if they give up 17, you know, damn, we give up 17, but my offense is going to score 30, so we'll be all right. Now they believe, you know, if they get an interception inside of 35, it's probably going to end up a touchdown, not a field goal or worse, a turnover. So the Bears defense is definitely playing a lot better. But we just seen what Green Bay just did. Green Bay on that tundra just put a clamp down on the Titans offense. That was one of, if not the highest scoring offense in the NFL. And the Packers defense did a great job of containing it. They, I mean, they took Derrick Henry pretty much out the game early with their offense. And so you do that, you force Ryan Tannehill to beat you. And anytime that happens, you probably have a good chance. So for the Packers, this is a huge game. Because if they lose, it opens up the door for the Seahawks or the Saints to regain the one seed. Now, in order for the one seed to go to the Seahawks, they would just need a they would need a Saints and Packers loss. The Seahawks are the one seed. And if the Saints need the one seed, they need a Packers loss and a Seahawks win in order to get the one seed to bring in the conference record tiebreaker and the Saints would win the tiebreaker for a conference record. So that is huge as far as seeding for both teams. Both teams will be playing for something. Both teams have something very valuable to play for. Now shifting to a team in the Tampa Bay Bucks. Remember, they are trying to secure the fifth seed for the right to beat the NFC East champion. So they're playing Atlanta. They played Atlanta two weeks ago. For the first half, Atlanta had their number, and then Tom Brady wrecked them in the second half. And then if you look at what Atlanta just did to Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs, if A.J. Terrell holds on to the interception, they only allow 10 points to the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium. So this is a huge game for the Bucs. They obviously are trying to secure the fifth seed, like I said, for the right to beat the NFC East champion, because otherwise they could fall to the sixth seed and have to play either the Packers, Bucks, I'm sorry, the Packers, Seahawks or Saints in the three spot. So much tougher opponent, much tougher road environment. You'd rather play Washington or Dallas. And that being said, this is a huge game for the Bucks. For Atlanta, obviously you're not in the playoffs. Obviously you're not in the Trevor Lawrence race. You're not even in the Justin Fields race. Hell, you might not even be in a Mac Jones, Kyle Trask race. But you have the ability to for Raheem Morris to put another game tape on film. If I'm the next head coach, I bring Raheem Morris back as my defensive coordinator. He's got this team, especially on defense, fighting hard. They are scrapping. They have nothing to play for. And they have absolutely given the business to Tom Brady for a half and Patrick Mahomes for an entire game. So if if, if I'm the new head coach of the Falcons next season, I bring Raheem Morris back as the highest paid defensive coordinator in football because he's got this team absolutely rolling right now. 
And then speaking on a couple of, speaking on the AFC side for their uh, conference. So we have four teams pretty much all fighting. We got four teams for three spots. We have the Ravens, the Colts, the Browns, and the Titans. So the only thing we know for a strict fact is that one of these four teams will not be in. If everybody wins, the Colts are the odd man out. As of right now, due to the fact of we have Kansas City already with a division win. Pittsburgh's already got their division. The AFC South is up for grabs, and the AFC East is already decided with the Bills. The Dolphins will get in. As of right, I mean, the Dolphins are pretty much going to get in. And so that leaves the Browns playing Pittsburgh without Big Ben, Tennessee playing Houston for the division, the Colts playing Jacksonville for a shot at the division if Tennessee were to falter, and Baltimore playing Cincinnati without Joe Burrow. I'm looking at four wins across the board which would knock the Colts out of the playoffs. The Browns could, I mean, it's possible. The Browns could lose to Mason Rudolph. Mason Rudolph and something called Duck Hodges went 8-8 eight and eight last season. So it's very possible that the Browns could lose to Pittsburgh, especially if they don't get the, all their receivers back due to COVID protocols, and especially if Baker gets hurried by T.J. Watt and the rest of that crew. But if I, if I had to just go of what I would see, I would be looking at four wins here. That's just my opinion. And the Colts would be the odd team out of the AFC playoffs in wildcard weekend one. I mean, this is absolutely spectacular. The NFL did an amazing thing by putting all the division games, like I said earlier, for the last week. And it looks like the last two weeks. Absolutely spectacular. Great job, NFL. They're trying to find a way to spice up these last couple of weeks so you don't get as many teams resting. You don't get as many teams shutting down half a team because they know they can't lose a spot and stuff like that so this is absolutely amazing by the nfl to do this um, there's other ways to spice up other time slots we'll talk about that probably next week or in the weeks coming but definitely that was a great decision by the nfl but up next we're going to shift to jack's pack which is our nfl betting segment Welcome back in. And now we're going to shift to our NFL betting segment, Jack's Pack. Well, my uh, risk to get back to 500 didn't go um, as expected. Well, I mean, they were risk for a reason. I went against several of my own rules, and they burned me every single time. We went 0 4 and 1, um, <clears throat> And which means we're now officially 15 games under 500, which is not a complete and total, total loss yet. Because again, we're going to pick all the way through the Super Bowl. I am doing my best to get back to 500. We're going to pick all the way through the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl is going to count as plus 10. Yes, I just made that up. No, we're not going to change it. Because that's the most bet on single event in, in, the, in the sports world, I believe, is the Super Bowl. So the Super Bowl is going to be a plus 10. Again, not changing it. Yes, I just made it up. No, we're not going back. And so we're hey we're 15 under 500, but hey we're still well within range of getting above 500 because again the Super Bowl is gonna count as a plus 10 because I would just put all my money for the week on the Super Bowl. So we're gonna see what happens. But I am feeling pretty good about my picks this week. Be admittedly, I do feel pretty great about them. I do feel really good about them. I stuck back to my rules. I didn't take any unnecessary risk. So, hey, we're going to get this thing back on the right path. We're going to start off with Falcons versus Bucks. Bucks minus six and a half. Take the Bucks. I mean, the Falcons, how many great defensive performances can they string together? And I know I was just speaking for well for Raheem Morris. And this is his last audition tape to even be a DC for the team next year. I know I said all that. Great. Spectacular. Super. Tom Brady is as hot as I've ever seen Tom Brady get. I mean, this is 07 level Brady in terms of what he's doing with the football and how he's absolutely dominating the competition, using all of his different weapons, using all of his different people. He's spreading the ball around. Everybody's fed. Everybody's willing to come to work harder and do absolutely more for that Tampa Bay team. He's getting Ronald Jones off the COVID list. No worry if he'll play in week 17. Again, again, they won't get the buy, so they may just use this. Hey, make sure you're fully healthy. Make sure you're fully ready to go for the playoff game. And so I think the Bucks are going to win this game actually by a touchdown. 
but since the line is six and a half right now, I will take the Bucks. Up next, we're gonna do Saints Panthers. Saints Panthers plus six and a half. Take the Panthers. I believe the Saints are gonna win the game. I just don't think they'll be able to win by more than a touchdown against the Panthers. And I picked against the Saints last week. Alvin Kamara made me eat my words. I don't think I'm gonna do that against the Panthers. Obviously, now everybody's looking for Kamara to run the ball. Six freaking rushing touchdowns. Who isn't? And so when a situation's coming like that, I believe it's gonna force Drew Brees and crew to try and throw the ball which with Dante Jackson and the rest of that secondary, it's going to be harder to do. I believe the Saints ultimately will win because they are the better football team. But it's a division game. You throw out records when it comes to division games. And so I would pick the Panthers to lose, but keep it close. The hook definitely being that six and a half is advantageous. Being with that half, if it was just six, I might have went Saints. But with the Panthers getting the hook 0.5, I would go with Panthers plus six and a half. Up next, we're gonna do Raiders versus Broncos. Broncos plus two and a half, take the Raiders. I think the Raiders are gonna win this game by at least a field goal. Look, John Gruden has to go into the offseason on a positive note. He cannot go into the offseason losing on some of the craziest miracle moments ever, including Ryan Fitzpatrick damn near getting his head torn from his body and still successfully completing a pass and a whole shot of a cover two. I don't know how he did that. Ryan Fitzmagic at work but the Raiders cannot afford to lose this game. Look, the Broncos, let's be honest, the Broncos suck. Let's just be perfectly 1,000 about the situation. The Broncos suck. There is no way the Raiders should lose this game at all. There's no way they should win this game by less than three. They don't even have to blow them out. It's a hook at two and a half. They just have to win by a field goal. I am going to go with the Raiders in the situation. I believe in Derek Carr enough. I trust John Gruden in spite of two Abadana that doesn't work in the NFL. I believe in the situation enough to where the Raiders will beat the Broncos by a field goal at least. I'm not saying they're going to blow them out. I'm not saying they're going to by 20. If it was four and a half or four, I probably wouldn't even pick this game. But it's two and a half. I believe that the Raiders will beat the Broncos by at least a field goal. And so I'm going with the Raiders there. Up next. The injury game, Arizona versus the Rams, it's a pick em. Made it really easy for me. Arizona, it's my block of the week. It is, if I had to give you advice, which I am giving you advice, if I had to tell you, hey, you put $500 a week aside for betting on games, put $400 on this one. I, this is my lock of the week. It is Arizona over the Rams. It's not even a line. It's a pick em. Due to the fact that the injury situation has warped the line, everybody don't know where to go. So they're trying to split the money as evenly as they can. I'm going Arizona here. I'm going Arizona hard here. Arizona's going to win this game and get into the playoffs. And finally, Washington versus the Eagles. Eagles plus one and a half. I'm going with Washington contingent that Alex Smith plays. This is my contingency pick, and I mentioned it earlier with this whole game depends on Alex Smith. This entire game in the division depends on Alex Smith. If Alex Smith can play and finish the game, but I can't do that in betting. So if Alex Smith is starting, the Washington football team will win this game. They will win it by more than two points, which is all I need. Two or more points, all I need to cover. They just, they will win this game by two points or more. If it is Taylor Heineke, the Eagles will win this game. So... I'm going to assume in this situation, Alex Smith is going to play. I am picking Washington. However, I would wait to place your money on this game until the injury report comes out. Because if it's Taylor Heineke, then move your money to Philly fast for the line shifts. So, I am going Washington at one and a, minus one and a half contingent on the health of Alex Smith. So, just to give a quick rundown, it is Bucks over Falcons. Panthers over Saints only against the line, Raiders over Broncos, Cardinals over Rams, and Washington over Philly contingent on the health of Alex Smith. But up next, we're going to shift to the NBA and just give a quick rundown of what's going down in the association. Welcome back into the show. Now we're going to shift to the association, the NBA, and what's going down with the league. So, 
First, we're going to start off with James Harden. How can we not start off with James Harden? He is ridiculously talented, clearly out of shape, clearly he's not in his best mental capacity with the team, and he decides, yeah, no John Wall, no problem. No DeMarcus Cousins, no problem. Not used to those guys anyway. You want me to battle CJ and Dane by myself? No problem. He goes for 44 points and 17 assists. That is insane, especially considering that he doesn't want to be there. He's purely playing because he probably has to. And he's not in the best physical shape because he's not dedicated to the team. So he's not giving the team his best effort off the court. And he goes for 44 and 17. I repeat, that is insane what he's doing right now. Absolutely, James Harden is one of the best five players in the NBA. He's one of the best, what, seven scorers of all time at worst. He's absolutely nuts for what he's doing right now for the Houston Rockets and what he's done for his entire career, especially for the Houston era. Obviously, he will not be a Rocket for the entire season. Uh, hopefully, something breaks any day now, and I can be the one of the first to report on that. Remember, at JTime Sports for breaking news like that. Hopefully, that'll be something that you know breaks within the next few weeks. Especially, maybe you know, Golden State might make a move. You know, Brooklyn could still make a move. Obviously, a couple other contenders could still make a move for him. Miami seems to have a scoring problem, so they can make a move. Definitely, hopefully, we'll see Harden on the move. Although reports are having it, it will not be soon. And, uh, now, I know I'm saying I want it to be soon, but journalistic integrity is telling me that it would not be soon. Um, I have several reports saying that don't expect any movement. Houston is not in any hurry to move James Harden at all. I mean, why would they be? They've got two years of contract for him left, so they're not going to be, you know, hemmed in around trade down line and just take whatever the best offer is on the table. They can wait. Now, if they get the offer they're looking for, he'll be out of the door immediately. But until they get that offer or until they have to absolutely move him, there's no way the Houston Rockets are going to move him on somebody else's terms. Now, it's been a weird season already. A um, lot of ups and downs for contenders. You had the Clippers, you know, beat the Lakers on opening night and then lose by 50 by half to the Mavericks. You got the Heat give up 20 NBA record 29 threes against the Bucks. You've got all kinds of teams up and down. You're up one minute, down the next. We thought Golden State was dead as a doornail. Now they're won their last two games. The Brooklyn Nets started off absolutely monst- uh, monstrosity. They've lost their last two. Boston is very up and down. You can definitely tell it's either been nine months or just a few months for guys and they haven't really got their normal body preparation that they're used to because the scores are either really, really close. It's either a game-winning shot by Damian Lee or it's over at half like the Clippers were or done by the third quarter like the Pelicans were against the Suns or over, you know, like the – I mean, there's no – oh, man, it was tied in the third quarter and then it became a 12-point game in the fourth and they had a hell of a fourth. You know by the halftime in these first couple of weeks or in this first week or so, either that the game's over or it's going to be a nail-biter all the way through because it's either a 20-point game at halftime or a two-point game at halftime, and you're going to know. Um, so definitely different than normal. Uh, I think three-point line is going to be even more of a factor this year because guys are going to look for easy shots. That's just a fact of life. Guys are going to look for, man, I'm blowing, but I'm going to stay in the game. We need to get a shot up. I'm going to just take this three. <laughs> so the three-point line could decide games. For instance, Milwaukee destroyed Miami because they hit 29 threes. The Pelicans got destroyed by Phoenix because they made one three as opposed to Phoenix's nine or ten in the first half. The game was over at halftime. And so the three-point line is going to be a very big part of the season this year due to the fact that, like I said, guys are going to look for easy shots when they can get them. A couple of young, shocking teams. The Cavaliers, up until last night, were undefeated. Again, the season's young, but they were undefeated. Uh, Atlanta is still undefeated. They have Ice Trek going crazy, and they're still not fully healthy yet. 
They're still not getting big minutes out of Capella. Uh, they're still not getting big minutes out of their first round pick. Gallinari still on the fence. John Collins apparently either wants his money or wants out. So it's not the most cohesive, cohesive sorry, situation. But Trey Young is going berserk for the Atlanta Hawks right now. So that is something definitely to keep an eye on. He's playing very well. Uh, the Knicks just played very well just last night. They look like they could have something in terms of a young nucleus. The Pelicans, last night notwithstanding, was playing very good basketball as well. And speaking of the team, they played the Suns. Outside of Chris Paul and Jay Crowder, that's a fairly young basketball team. And they're playing good ball as well. And speaking of one of the young stars of the NBA, John Morant suffered an ankle injury. Uh, it looked really bad. It looked really bad. Uh, luckily, it was only a grade two sprain in which he will be out three to five weeks. He will miss a good portion of the condensed season, a few games, probably ends Memphis's chance at even making the play-in games. Um, but he will be back this season, thankfully. He will be fully healthy this season, also thankfully. Uh, with his grade two ankle sprain. So good news for John Morant. Uh, speaking of the guy who will forever be linked to him in his draft class, Zion Williamson, he spoke about the Pelicans, what, all of 30 seconds ago? He is looking amazing. He looks like the guy we've seen at Duke. Not quite as basketball IQ'd in as you would hope to see because sometimes he, he's, he's 20 years old. So he's still like, Okay, I can just go get this shot. Or, yeah, it's two people, but they're both smaller than me. Or, he's taller than me, he's smaller than me, and I'll just split them and get through the gap. So, he needs to get to a better point of trusting that, hey, you know, I got doubled. Cool. It's only five people on the court. So, if I'm getting doubled, that means somebody has to be wide open. Even if I don't see it, get it to somewhere quickly so that they can kick it to the open person and we can keep rotating the ball through. So that is something that he's going to have to develop, but I believe he will get there. Stan Van Gundy is is a pretty good player developer, so I definitely believe that Zion Williamson will get there very soon. Now, uh, some way too early award updates. Uh, Trey Young has definitively entered the MVP discussion. Again, way too early for this kind of thing, but Trey Young is definitely in the MVP discussion. Doc Rivers maybe you know not running away with coach of the year but he's definitely up there for coach of the year um in terms of most improved player can trey young win it i mean it's one of those situations like can trey young win it i mean he's absolutely balling right now uh update for rookie of the year it's looking like james wiseman look i had obi topping but obi topping suffered a little injury as well james wiseman is absolutely ridiculous He's he's legit. I mean, congrats to Golden State for finding their next franchise cornerstone. That guy is legit. It's still California. You know, San Francisco is not LA, but it's San Francisco. Curry and Clay won't play forever. Wiseman's only what, 18, 19? So even if those guys are out of the league in six years, he'll be what, 25? And you can recruit guys to play around him. I mean, he's absolutely ridiculous. So congrats to the Golden State Warriors organization for finding what appears to be their next franchise cornerstone. But up next, we're going to shift to college football and talk about some news and the college football playoff. Alrighty, everyone, and welcome into the show. And now we're going to talk about the college football world and what's going down there. We're going to start off with a little news. First, um, Derek King had a knee injury for the Miami Hurricanes. He is going back to school. You've taken advantage of the extra year the NCAA is granting. However, we do not have an update on his knee at this time. Hopefully, he's okay and he's more than healthy and ready to go for next season for the Miami Hurricanes. But now, we are going to shift to what everybody's waiting on, what the whole college football world is contingent on, the college football playoff. In one of, if not the last years of it just being a four-teamer. In the non-traditional Rose Bowl, we have Alabama versus Notre Dame. The point spread is 19 and a half point favorites for Alabama. Uh, take the over. 
I don't expect this game to be close. Notre Dame just got, what, 30 balled it felt like, or it was until they scored a late touchdown against Clemson. Alabama's better than Clemson. Uh, Alabama has five first-team All-Americans. I think Notre Dame had one. The better coaches on Alabama. It's more Alabama territory. It keeps Alabama travel plans. You know, like I said, they hate going west of Dallas and north of Atlanta. But guess what? The game's in Dallas this year because of the restrictions by California on team sports and things of that nature. This game is for the right for another championship, another feather in Nick Saban's already goat cap. Yeah, take Alabama. And 19 and a half points is a little low. I would expect 24 and a half, 25 even. Um, but Alabama is going to absolutely dominate this game. Uh, Notre Dame has a history of New Year's Six Bowls. They're 0-6, and they lose by an average of 24 points a game. I don't know why this game be any differently. Uh, the best player, second best player, third best player, possibly even the fourth best player, all play for Alabama. And when you got a coaching staff advantage the way that the Alabama Crimson Tide do, they are going to absolutely roll in this game. I'd say the score would be 40 to 17, um, 45, 20, something like that. I don't expect this game to be close at all. Now, speaking of a game, I do expect to be a lot closer, and so does Vegas. Clemson and Ohio State. Number two, Clemson versus number three, Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl in New Orleans. Now, this game will be very, very limited fan-wise due to the fact of COVID restrictions in New Orleans. We see that with the Saints game. You know, they have, what, 3,000 fans? I think they had 600 fans all of a couple weeks ago. So, when you've got a situation like that, it's going to be very, very low in terms of the fan base. However, it's still a huge game. Uh, Clemson's been poking Ohio State in the ribs the past couple of weeks. And Dabo Sweeney, you know, doubled down on his defense for Ohio State being ranked 11th in his coach's poll behind Coastal Carolina. He doubled down on that. And so he's been poking Ohio State in the ribs. Uh, Ohio State, for the first time, is looking like a little brother. Because when Ohio State plays in Michigan, Michigan's like, yeah, we got to play Ohio State, big-time rivalry. And Ohio State reciprocates it by Xing out all the M's on campus. And during the whole week, if they have an M in a word, they uh, put an X when they type on Twitter and stuff like that. It is a rivalry. But it's not the same. Michigan's looking at it as possibly their biggest game of the year. Ohio State's looking at it as, okay, this is a W because it's Michigan. So when you look at it that way, uh, I think Clemson is looking at Ohio State like we've played them. We beat them. Now, in Ohio State's defense, if the receiver goes the other way next year, goes the correct way last year, the other direction, Ohio State beats Clemson and gets the right to lose to LSU. But they would have beat Clemson last year. But Clemson probably looks at the schedule and goes, okay, we got Ohio State, so we got to play Bama. We got to play Bama next. We, you know, we've beaten Bama this past couple times too. We at least you split with them. And so, man, we're going to get past Ohio State, which could work to Ohio State advantage because they're looked at as an underdog. They're looked at as a team that's not on Clemson's level. Flat out, they're looked at as they might be overlooked by Clemson. As crazy as it sounds, Clemson could be, some of his players could be thinking, man, every time I play Ohio State, I beat them. We're already looking at Alabama because that's the only program in the country on our level. And so that would definitely be something to watch there, how Clemson starts the game. Do they start off 14-0 down or, you know, 13-0 down where they go three possessions quickly three and out. Ohio State gets a touchdown, a couple of field goals, and they're up 13-0. And so that'll be interesting to watch there. Uh, The point spread is seven and a half favorites for Clemson. I would say take the under. I think this game is going to be very, very close. Now, I would not lock bet this. My lock bet is clearly Alabama-Notre Dame. But seven and a half, that hook of the half is the reason why I would go Ohio State in this game. But it would not shock me at all if Clemson won by 17. So that's why I said my, my lock bet would definitely be Alabama over Notre Dame. But if putting money on this game at seven and a half, I would do Ohio State because of that hook of a half point. Now, just look at some top recruiting classes, which could change in the next few days. Some top recruits are going to commit in the next few days. We have Alabama at one, Ohio State at two, Georgia at three, LSU at four, Clemson at five. Three of those teams are in the college football playoff. So it's pretty much you can tell who are the most talented teams in the country. 
you can tell who are the best teams in the country and they're going to continue being that way for as long as this current system is in place so you know when they expand to eight maybe that gives more opportunities for recruits to go other places and still compete who knows but lsu will not be down for long now with that kind of recruiting class you have too much talent on the field and their position in the recruiting class could rise with guys like Tristan Lay and other guys still out there to be recruited and to be committing. So these rankings are fluid at the moment. It's not the final rankings. Like I said, there's several top recruits still haven't committed, definitely have not signed. And so they will be shuffling in and out between those five. But up next, we're going to do our best for last, which is going to be a year in review for 2020. Welcome back into Best for Last, which will be a 2020 year in review in sports. Um, wow, what a year. 2020 was not the best year for a lot of people. Um, 2020 for it really didn't get started off on a negative note um, until the, pa- the tragic passing of uh, Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna in the helicopter accident in L.A., Um, That's when pretty much the world took a turn in sports. Um, Really, that started popping up all of a few days ago. Really, really a lot because it was right around the one year anniversary of the last time we seen Kobe at a game. It was Lakers Mavs um, when he was speaking to Luka in Slovenian and dapping up LeBron because LeBron was just about to pass him on the scoring list. Um, it's just absolutely that was tragic, heart wrenching for the entire world. Really, uh, we've seen the murals and the paintings and the dedications all throughout the world when that uh, ha- tragic day happened and occurred. Um, I mean, it's just wow. In fact, it's almost been a year already because if you guys recall, uh, the memorial celebration was a few weeks after the incident. And it was on 224 in honor of Gianna and Kobe. And so the fact that it's been, like I said, nearly a year already does not seem real. Um, not does not seem real at all. Um, just absolutely. Wow. In terms of that, um, then, you know, we had LSU completing the greatest college football season ever. Uh, the few weeks before Kobe's tragic death. There was the Super Bowl champion being crowned. Patrick Mahomes won his first Super Bowl with the Kansas City Chiefs. Their first Super Bowl in, I believe, ever. Um, completing and breaking several droughts for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, then you had basketball season in full ramp. COVID strikes. Shuts down the sports world for months. We started, the, we started this interaction between us. The podcast started during COVID. Uh, but it shut down the sports world for months. Finally, we started getting sports back. Uh, basketball and hockey were the first two to come back because they went to bubble structures. We started learning words like bubble. We started learning words like rapid test. We started learning words and phrases such as 14-day quarantine, stay-at-home orders. We started learning words such as, you know, and phrases such as mask and social distancing and stuff like that. We got the last dance during COVID. We got it early. Because it was not supposed to come out till after the NBA Finals, but the NBA talked with the producers who were still editing it while it was coming out. So while we were seeing Last Dance episodes, uh, it was a five-week event. They were editing or finishing editing episodes as it was coming out. So that's why they said a couple of spots looked a little rough, a couple of spots looked a little slow or didn't feel like it necessarily fit perfectly. Was because they were editing out because they thought they had another what two months to clean everything up. The NBA talked to them and basically coerced them or agreed with them or something or another with them to get the them to bring it out early. So we got it in May instead of getting it in July or August, which was huge. Got a lot of people through quarantine because that became a they became the number one topic on this show every week. It became the number one topic on a lot of shows, shows that were doing it, you know, Undisputed was trying and Skip Bayless and Shannon Shop's house and, you know, stuff like that. People were still trying to do their jobs. 
it became the number one topic in a lot of spaces due to the fact of that was the only new programming we had. It was a lot of replays of games. It was a lot of replays of everything. But it, it was, every week was, oh, man, remember the bubble schedule was like led this show for three weeks. It was what are we getting on the bubble? You know, and so the last dance was huge in terms of getting live programming and topic selection for us and just giving guys like me. I'm, you know, I'm only 23. So I'm one of the younger. I'm young. I'm 23 years old. Michael, when Jordan hit the shot over Byron Russell, I was one. Not even I was one. I was barely one. When he hit the shot of Byron Russell, when he leaves the Washington Wizards in 2003, I'm six. So I didn't see any of these moments. You know, you know about them historically, but it was different to see them even through the eyes of Michael Jordan. Because basically it was told through the eyes of Michael Jordan. It was called the Lance Dance Bulls documentary. It was the Michael Jordan story. It started when Michael Jordan was drafted for the Bulls, basically. And it ended when Michael Jordan left the Bulls, which was the last dance. But it was the Michael Jordan story for the most part. Um... Cause they even meant stuff by him playing baseball, which was relevant, but they focused on it a lot. But seeing that through Michael Jordan's eyes and hearing from Horace Grant, hearing from Phil Jackson, hearing from Scottie Pippen, you know, you got to see, hearing from Gary Payton, hearing from these guys, Larry Bird, you got to see old footage of them talking about Mike, new footage of them talking about Mike, and stuff of that nature. So that was a big help through 2020. Then, like I said, football and basketball, I mean, basketball and hockey, excuse me, came roaring back. We crowned champions in both sports with the Los Angeles Lakers winning the championship in honor of Kobe Bryant. Um, Football has come roaring back. We didn't know what was going to happen with college sports. Uh, A lot of people said it's not worse for the kids to go out there. Just give them the eligibility back. Let them attend school. And then we'll just reboot it next year, basically. Ultimately, the NCAA decided they could not take another financial loss after we lost both basketball. We lost college sports. So we lost the NCAA tournament. The NCAA uh, lost billions of dollars of revenue. So they could not take another massive hit by not having any sports this season. The NCAA will probably fold as we know it. So ultimately, you know, we they instituted mass testing. They instituted all these restrictions, all these rules, left it up to the conferences and say, figure it out. You know, certain conferences like the uh, the SWAC and the Southland FCS conferences went to the spring. Uh, Power Five conferences like the Big Ten and the SEC and the ACC, they just said, you know, screw it, we're going to push forward. The Big 12, the Pac-12 ultimately joined. Um, you were looking at college sports. We're looking around like, man, the Cleveland Browns, the local high school team are playing, but the Ohio State football is watching. Ohio was not playing. So ultimately, college sports decided to play. Uh, huge for them. Looks completely different. You know, instead of 100,000 in Tiger Stadium at LSU or 107,000 in the big house or uh, the horseshoe being full for Ohio State, you know, they're empty. Or LSU had like 15,000, I think the biggest crash they had all season. These places are empty. And so college sports are completely different. You notice it in football because the crowd roar wasn't there. You notice it big time in basketball. Um, But definitely a different environment in collegiate athletics. But they're going to finish their season within a few weeks. College football will have made it. Basketball is trying to push through it right now. Um, We had great landmarks. We had a new tennis superstar, Naomi Osaka, appear she was is the AP female of the year with LeBron James being the AP male athlete of the year. We had possibly the last event for Roger Federer, uh, his last major. His body's starting to fail him. We may have seen the last of Roger Federer. Congratulations on an absolutely spectacular career. Uh, 2020 was not great for a lot of reasons, um, but we had a tremendous athletes such as the WNBA and the NBA and soccer and baseball. We had a baseball champion crown. The freaking Dodgers won the World Series after constantly getting there and constantly getting denied and losing in all kind of crazy ways. And the Dodgers finally win after one of the craziest postseasons and games we've ever seen. It was absolutely spectacular. It was absolutely tremendous. Clayton Kershaw got the monkey off his back. And the Dodgers were World Series champions, adding another ring to Magic Johnson's collection. It's like he, I mean, he's got to be out of fingers at this point. And so, congratulations to the Dodgers. But 
they were some of the groups that you know definitely showed their pride for racial injustice and definitely was trying to help spray the message for racial injustice because that almost shut down the, the dang bubble for the WNBA and the NBA because of incidents that were happening and guys and gals who were going to walk out on their seasons to go back home to help fight and so that was definitely something that I was proud of there and definitely a bright spot in 2020 but you know 2021 is around the corner this is the last episode of season one I thank you guys for riding with me. This has been a great time. I definitely enjoy doing this. I cannot wait for season two, and it will definitely be a hell of a ride. Now, remember, you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. You can also follow the Twitter at JTimeSports for breaking news and updates. And this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.